Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. Uh, this week, I have got uh, Frankie Wilmer, who was a representative out of Bozeman last year in the legislature from Hack. <laughs> and, uh, um, and you're running for the U.S. Congress. That's right. Thanks, Kevin. And uh, welcome to the show. Thank Let's you. talk a little bit about uh, your past in politics. How did you get started in politics? Well, you know, I teach politics, teach international relations. Um, but I don't know if you know, before that, I worked 16 years as a waitress and carpenter to finish my undergraduate degree and support my family. Oh, wow. So, um, you know, and before that, actually in high school, my interest was aroused. I was a journalism major and all that and edited the high school newspaper. So I was always interested, but um, until I finished college and was able to finish my graduate work with scholarships, um, I didn't, wasn't that active. Really? So, but so I was chair of the Montana Human Rights Commission. The governor appointed me in 2006. Wow. Uh, and, you know, my work in, um, my scholarly work, research work, included research in the former Yugoslavia. Oh. Uh, during the war. Which was uh, nasty. It was very bad. So, now, you know. did you actually travel over there for that research? Yep, or? I went there the first time in 1995 in the spring, during the same time of the Srebrenica massacre, which, you know, when a knew was happening or expected, um, and went back five more times after that to complete the work on that research project. So in that sense, my whole career has been about politics, but not in public service. That's, that's I think, So you've always been, always, always been involved in government, not necessarily in the leadership or mm -hmm. the elected side of it. That's very cool. Um, what was it like going over to Serbia in the middle mm -hmm. of what is the it's a modern Holocaust, really? Yeah, which is exactly why I wanted to go and interview people from as many different perspectives as possible. So I went into Bucharest, Romania, and took the train into Belgrade, uh, Serbia. And I had one con, actually two contacts. But from there, I was able to fan out and uh, interview people over a three to four week period the first time. Everyone from war victims, war, victims of war crimes to war criminals to people in Milosevic's government. My first contacts were in the anti-war movement, of course. Um, and I even stood with the women in black in Republic Square in Belgrade and protested Milosevic. <laughs> wow. Um, so what I wanted to do was get first-hand accounts of their experiences and their understanding of what was going on. Wrote a book about it, and and that's amazing. And is it available online or if you Amazon yes, or? it's on Amazon. Look up my name. It's okay. easier than looking up the title because it's a, a long title. <laughs> I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Yeah. And uh, if you don't know what that is, if you're subscribed on iTunes, you can actually go to politicticboom.com, and there will be an episode for Frankie, and you'll be able to find all the things that we discuss in the show. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you dove into the darker side of humanity when you mm -hmm, decided mm -hmm. to go into politics, and then you were in last year's legislature, which might have yeah. been similar. Well, so my first, as I was going back, my first uh, public service experience was as Montana Human Rights Commission Chair. Okay. And that was a governor's appointment. And what exactly does that role do? Well, that's a quasi-judicial citizen body that uh, hears appeals of cases that are investigated by the Human Rights Bureau of discrimination under Montana's human rights law. So that covers? It covers um, the protected categories are basically race, class, uh, sex, national origin, religion, disability, marital status in Montana. I think I've got the protected and, categories. And age. Pretty much, and age. Uh, most but of the cases. sexual orientation. Not yet, not yet. Okay. Uh, and, and although that's something that the commission has, um, and when I was chair, wrote a letter in support of urging the legislature to, uh, to include sexual orientation. 
And the protected activities, our affected activities are employment and finance and uh, government services and housing and you know th those areas. So wow. most of the complaints obviously are employment complaints involving either uh, sexual discrimination uh, or disability, interestingly enough, was the second largest category of cases we had. But, but the effect was in seeing the people whose lives were affected by my public service, uh, reviewing you know, boxes and boxes of legal files and deliberating over the cases, listening to both sides, and, and giving our opinion about whether the case should be upheld or returned. Um, and we had some actually groundbreaking cases that were decided by the commission and upheld by the Montana Supreme Court. Wow. Uh, so it's pretty interesting. But seeing the people whose lives were directly affected got me more interested in doing more public service rather than uh, research. Right. So then you decided to, was last year your first term? 2006 was my first uh, campaign and election. Uh -huh. I served in 2007, 2009, 2011. So I won all three elections. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, it was actually the urging of former students of mine who are active in politics <laughs> and was lamenting, <laughs> yeah, lament, lamenting that we didn't have any women from the Gallatin Valley serving in the legislature. And they said, well, why don't you run for House District 64? It's open seat. Yeah. Okay. It's, uh, it's amazing what happens when you lament something in front of people. <laughs> yeah. So what was it like when you first got in the legislature? Well, the first term, Democrats were 49, Republicans were 50, and we had one constitutional party member, if you remember that, Rick Jor. Uh, in my second term, we were 50-50, and I served in House leadership as Speaker Pro Tem. Uh, and in the last term, as you know, it was kind of the Wonky. Uh, yeah, crazy with 68 Republicans. I would say half of them were Tea Party types and or wore Tea Party lapel pins to let us know that they were, and 32 Democrats. So each se the first two sessions evenly divided, uh, and the last session, you know, overwhelmingly with the Republican majority pulling everybody, I think, to the extreme, even in their party. Right. Um, so but we did defeat a few bad bills, which is saying something. Yeah, and we left a few for the governor to have to veto. Yeah, he had to break out the brand. What a glorious day. Yeah. So you went into the legislature when you were working 50-50. How is it, you know, when, when you can work with the mm -hmm, other side, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. obviously you can be more productive. I'm assuming that, and here's the problem that I have. I saw the 2009 legislature, right. but I didn't see 2007. And 2009 was, you know, everything seemed like it was okay. And then 11 was a nightmare. Yes. And from an outsider's perspective, a citizen's perspective, right. I always looked at it as, you know, when the legislature can't get their act together, the rest of the state right. kind of follows that very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, so it was very disturbing to me last year, but how was it when you were working, you know, when it's split 50-50, everybody thinks, well, it's just going to grind to a halt, but that didn't happen. No, it didn't, and there's two things um, that I'd like to say about the 2011 legislature is that the level of civility was severely diminished. Uh, and that was, and we saw bits and bits of that in 2009. I think uh, Representative Butcher had to get up and apologize on the floor for calling mentally disabled people vegetables. You know, that's pretty uncivil. Um, but we uh, kind of, you know, he was an outlier. We saw more direct, you know, and uncivil kinds of encounters in 2011. Now, in 2007 and 9 and 11, we had, but with the split legislatures, we had a governor who's got a record and a commitment to fiscally responsible budgeting, and the budget is the high stakes in the legislature. Right. And in 2007 and 9, the question was getting a coalition of moderate Republicans and Democrats because we, no one had a majority to pass the budget. Of course, in 2007, they had a majority that could have blocked the budget. Right. 
Right. Right. With just one, uh, by one vote advantage, but the Senate had a, re a Democratic majority. So um, the effect was to actually pull people together around the middle. The thing with the governor's still a Democrat, and he's fiscally, you know, responsible. So those whose political commitments and identity is tied to fiscal conservatism had nowhere to go to criticize him. <laughs> that was the problem. <laughs> um, but in the end, we did come around. And in 2007, that was more evident when there was a whole hijacking of the budget process and trying to sort of grandstand with it. But, but that disappeared in 2009. Uh. So then you got into last session. I'd say several things about last session, but I'm trying to keep the podcast with a clean tag, so yeah. I just try to shut yeah. up. Um, what, when did you make the decision? Because it, it, it was announced in the middle of the session, and uh, you said earlier that mm -hmm. some friends tweeted it. Mm -hmm. No, it's a great question. I think the conventional wisdom about announcing uh, congressional campaigns is to do a lot of uh, groundwork before the announcement. Uh, secure some commitments and generate some buzz and even uh, see whether there's the financial support out there to make a big grand entry into the race. Well, that, mine didn't happen like that. And, and that's not a very Montana way of doing things. I don't know that's particularly Montana. It's sort of like, again, the way conventional wisdom would dictate that congressional candidates normally go about making their announcements and preparing for them. I'm not a fan of normal. <laughs> <laughs> I had people, four or five people, from very, very different age groups, um, geographic you know, locations in Montana, walks of life, different orientations. They were all Democrats, but who all asked me whether I would run for this seat if uh, Breberg jumped into the Senate race. And so I thought, given the people who were asking and that I respected their political opinions and judgments, I owed them an answer, you know, pretty quickly. And uh, it felt right. It just felt like this is what I have the background experience and knowledge to do, a good job, you know, uh, of, of being in Congress. And so I said, yes, well, the younger uh, among them said, uh, can we tweet it? I didn't know Twitter from Twitter or <laughs> tutors or anything. And I said, you can shout it from the rooftop. You can tweet it. Well, I don't care what you do. So they did. And that, went and off that was history like, because in five minutes, the entire Capitol press court was like, where's Frankie? Yeah. So it was grassroots in that sense. But I did not want the rest of the session to be hijacked or, or focused on my congressional campaign. So really, I put it on the back burner until the session was over. And, and I think you did a good job with that. I, one you. of the things that I saw, the day you announced, I, I, like, it blew up on Twitter, and it was pretty amazing. And we can talk a little bit more about Twitter in a moment. Yeah. But, um, I know a but, lot about Twitter now. <laughs> good, good, and Facebook. Um, yeah. uh, and not Google+, Plus, whatever. Um, it, it blew up, and I was watching some floor session, and literally all the cameras turned to find you. And you were just smiling, going, and you know, I don't <laughs> think I don't think you knew that yeah. this, this was going on. I think it was you were in the middle of either about to give testimony or just giving it, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, and then frankly, and there was the announcement. And then KXLH came on. They're like, and she's announced today, and it was mm -hmm. um, pretty amazing because it was it was a big moment, and then it didn't die off. You just let it go in a nice professional manner to get back to work, which mm -hmm. is so unusual for politicians. Mm -hmm. Um, so thank you for doing that. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you realized that. I mean, this was true before I ran. I think some people do think in advance, years in advance, they might want to run someday. And so they have to watch how they vote or what they say. And I just never have done that. <laughs> and I didn't do it in the last session either. And it's interesting to me, people will remember, oh, 
I remember the day when they tried to introduce a constitutional amendment to add the right to develop our economic resources to the clean, healthful environment. Do you remember that? Yes. And, uh, and you got up and gave this speech about, well, it's interesting. There are other countries with those provisions in their constitutions, but they're socialist countries, and I don't think that's what you guys mean. <laughs> or the agricultural subsidies or, you know, the day I called them on health care benefits, right? Mm -hmm. They were all about, you know, cutting down health care benefits for America and for everybody else in Montana. Montana while voting up increased benefits for members of the legislature. Right. You know, when I said this is hypocritical. Uh, there was a lot of hypocrisy. Yeah. There, it was, um, there's a lot of, you know, the people that, well, you should be able to go your own way as long as it's the way that agrees with me. Yeah. Um, and I tend to get um, livid, <laughs> would be a good way to describe it. And I did not add to the civility of the session last session. Yeah. I, will t I will admit to that wholeheartedly because by the time we got around to week two and I had literally been insulted by six representatives to my face, I was done. I was, um, but that's part of why I'm doing this show. Well, I still tried to work and you might have noticed, um, I mean, you would, could not get a bill passed without bipartisan support. Right. And one thing I have always done is there are grandiose policies I'd love to, to see, like gender pay equity. Um, but realistically, we're aiming that those kinds of bills at educating the public and engaging in a public policy debate in the legislature with little likelihood probably of passing. Right. Although the last session had the best bill ever because it would cost zero. It just gave people the right to sue. Um, but mostly, I'd also try to look for some kind of issue that we could work together on. And that's one of the reasons why I've carried so many veterans bills. Um, because that is a way, the more you work with people, the more trust and the more you know somebody's a human being and not just an R or a D. Right. Uh, and that was on Fish, Wildlife, and Parks was true as well. And state administration. So all three terms, that I think is one of the characteristics of my uh, tenure has been to find ways to work with the other side. And every bill I've passed as a result, even when we had a little bit of a majority, has had strong bipartisan support. Well, I think I had thing. one bill that had all but four members of both houses in total as co-sponsors. Wow, what bill was that? That was the Vietnam Veterans Welcome Home Day bill. Ah, yeah. very cool. So, so, so I don't mean to make it, it yeah, yeah, there was this general you know, craziness going on, but there was some sanity underneath it that was less interesting to the press. <laughs> well, and I'm sure that, I'm sure there was, and you know, you never get the full story unless you're actually in the body, and I think even when you're in the body, you don't get the full story because you're surrounded by what you're doing right that moment and other things are happening mm -hmm. at the same time. There's, uh, let's step back and go to Twitter. You didn't know what it was when you said like, a tweet. <laughs> it didn't realize that they'd be pulling up a megaphone and standing yeah. on top of the Capitol and yeah. literally shouting it in everybody's ear. Yeah. Um, how has that changed since then? You know what oh it is Oh my gosh, now. yeah. Do yeah, you use it yeah. yourself? Oh, absolutely. Or, and mm -hmm. how is it helping? Or well, how is it hurting? Because, as you know, it's a way to get breaking news. Mm -hmm. uh, this is what the Iranian you know, people were tweeting out, the revolution in the streets. Uh, it's one of the things that can shine the light of public opinion. Uh, onto a situation immediately and make people aware of what's going on. So I think it's primarily useful for fast communication and breaking news and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so we made it a goal to uh, carefully, you know, follow and be followed and uh, develop our Twitter verse of friends. Is that what you call it? And, uh, <laughs> I just call them people. <laughs> and uh, and I've been really excited about it. I mean, have made some good contacts and and been able to garner some support for my campaign. Uh, it's a way of just letting people know who want in a second to know what you're doing, where are you, 
uh, what's the up. buzz, you know, and keep up. That's yeah. cool. So or highlight, you know, issues that you want to highlight nationally in a particular news cycle. Very cool. There's, there's uh, I fell in love with Twitter actually in 2007, and uh, from the moment I joined it, I was like, this is the best because it, it's the the immediacy of the now. But I can catch it in two hours, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know. So I don't lose anything, but I still kind of know what's going on. And uh, you know, in, in the circles that I'm in, politics and geeks and sure. music and that, you know, so kind of weird. A hot overlap. debate in Congress, exactly. Something somebody says it's really stupid or controversial gets tweeted out right away. Yeah, and um, I'll start talking about it. And there's so many things that before would have just not been in the news cycle sure. because of it. So I think we're getting a more transparent government whether the government likes it or not. Mm -hmm. And Twitter is a big part of that. Now you've got obviously your website and your social media that's going on and mm -hmm. then you've got the old guard of I'm sure you've got yard signs and postcards and all of that stuff. How is your campaign different than now that you're running for a national office, mm -hmm. different than what it was before? So how is the, the federal c congressional campaign different from the state legislature? Well, yeah. It's a I, big state. <laughs> this is the largest uh, district in the lower 48. Right. So from Glendive to Libby to Whitefish to Hamilton and uh, all the, you know, Bozeman, Butte, Missoula, Helena, Great Falls. And except for Bozeman to Whitefish, everywhere else is a round trip in one day for me. <laughs> it's kind of weird. One day I went from a Ronan meeting, uh, Democratic County, Lake County meeting. Uh, the next day I had to be in Glendive. Oh well, my. Bozeman's halfway between, so I got to sleep in my own bed, which I try to do whenever possible. But of course that's the difference. And instead of knocking doors, uh, because I've had to work my full-time job at the university, that pays the bills, and right. uh, work another basically 35 hours a week or so on the campaign when I can. Um, you know, doing that means that I have to pick up the phone and call people. I can't knock on the doors. I knock on their telephones. Uh, but we've called, personally, I've called over 40,000 people. And wow. the campaign altogether is over 50,000 now. That's amazing. So basically, that's my door knocking. That, and of course, going, visiting the communities and speaking to you know, 50, 100 people at a time. Um, but yeah, so that's that's different. It's a great big district. I knocked saturated the door knocking in my campaign in for the house because you have a day where maybe you didn't raise as much money as you thought you would uh, or something else or you you see a, something in the paper that worries you you know but you can always go out and knock doors and talk to voters right and that's free it, I mean it just takes my time but it's right. free so I can always pick up the phone and start calling voters and uh, most people are really um, happy that a congressional candidate takes the time to call I can't tell you how many people I've heard say it's so unusual to have the candidate to talk to the candidate. And I said, well, I don't know any other way to do it, but here I am. <laughs> if you have questions, ask me questions, and I'll tell you about my experience and why I can serve Montana well. Well, that's awesome. So uh, your campaign's going well. You we're coming up where it's 37 days to mm -hmm. the primary, mm -hmm. and you've got a host of primary competitors. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I have to tell you, from my perspective, I am enjoying it a lot because up until, and I saw you at the um, debate in Missoula, mm -hmm. I guess three weeks ago? Yeah, I can yeah. tell you how long ago it was. <laughs> and, it was um, and it was the first I'd actually heard about what was going on with these campaigns because they, I'd missed them if they had been in Helena, I don't know. And mm -hmm. um, 
so I was kind of concerned that the Democrats weren't doing anything mm -hmm. because I hadn't heard anything. Weren't getting any media attention. Right. Well, that for for sure that wasn't happening. And then I went and saw this debate, and you have a slate, and I you know I wouldn't vote for everybody on the slate. No offense to the people, and you know I like you, I'm sure you're great people. I just don't think it's all everybody's ready. Um, but there's really four, maybe five good candidates mm -hmm, on there mm -hmm. that you're competing with, and that's so unusual in politics. Mm -hmm. And what's you know you you ran your campaign for the House. I, I'm assuming you had a. a Republican competitor, at least. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, did you, have you ever seen a slate like this? Well, you know, it's an open seat. And uh, I think that Democrats who have always, in my view, and I grew up with the Democratic majority in Congress, and Tip O'Neill was always Speaker of the House, as far as I knew, um, have been the party of the people. But there's this, uh, I think, there, you know, there was a time where skepticism of government and uh, and spending uh, was something that the Republicans were able to message, even though their record doesn't show, you know, a more fiscally responsible, uh, fiscally conservative, you know, um, budget in Congress. In right. fact, in the presidency. In fact, we had a surplus under Clinton, and the next president, who's what's his name, Bush, Bush <laughs> uh, spent it basically on giving tax cuts to rich people and corporations, right? And that, that's a spending. It's, he said, there's this extra money, it should go back to the people, but it didn't really go to the people, it went to the corporations and a few of the very rich people. Right, which but then the he blew it. It's around. like you have a savings account, let's throw it helicopter money from the sky. You know, we had this surplus in the budget for three years running under a Democratic president. And three years before that, a declining deficit. So people can't even say it was the Republican majority in the Congress because that majority changed you know, during that six-year period. So I just want to say that I'm not sure we have done a good job of conveying to the people um, the, our success right. in the fiscal area. Now, on the social area, you, you, know, you can't be for limited government and also opposed to the right to privacy and use all these justifications for interfering in people's private lives. <laughs> so we need to call them on that. Um, yeah. So I think that the Democrats kind of sense that the time is right. And, uh, and you hear that, that message, similar messages from all the campaigns, yeah. and you hear our opponent just saying that he's a job creator or something, you know, and... I haven't heard much out of him yeah. either. Um, and extremely well-funded. So. Well, yeah, when you're rich, you can do that. Yeah. Um, and he's a nice guy. I mean, I've, I've met Steve a couple of times. Um, but uh, I think it's amazing that the Democrats have really put up this great slate of people. And it's and it's it's nice to be able to choose from several good people. Right, and, so we're drawing good make people a, into the race. And make a nuanced yeah. choice. Now, do I think Montanans are going to do that? Oh, I hope so. <laughs> I hope they're going to spend a little mm -hmm. time and learn about mm -hmm. um the various candidates. Part of why I'm doing the show is because I want people to have a chance to talk about, you know, what does make them different. Right. And you talked about the veterans bills that you hosted mm -hmm. or sponsored, sponsored, hosted, <laughs> like it's a party. Um, what are the other issues that you really want to work on as you uh, ascend to Congress? Well, the things that there's two uh, ways to look at that. One is what is my area of expertise and my knowledge and experience, and the other is what's important to Montanans. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, common ground there. Um, I think energy and education are huge, both for Montana and areas of expertise, either from my career and life experience in education. And also in the legislature, I worked on some energy stuff um, and had to learn more about it. It's, it's also, you know, as I, you may know, my, one of my fields of expertise is international 
relations. And the energy markets are international and energy problems and their supply and their production and consumption are all really international. So um, I can put Montana's capacity and our situation on energy issues into that context and do a good job, I think, representing Montanans on, on energy and education. Um, foreign policy is a natural area for me to specialize in and national security. But um, so I think that broadly speaking, one of the strengths that I bring is uh, experience that is relevant to serving in Congress as opposed to the state legislature. Now, I, you know, we're a citizen legislature, and I represented Bozeman, uh, one district in Bozeman, but my professional and career experience is much more broadly uh, national security, uh, economics, my undergrad degrees are econ and poli-sci. So, you know, I do understand markets. I understand how they work. I've done market studies, you know. Uh, and regression analysis on what the telecommunications sector was going to do from 1981 to 1984. You know, so these are um, areas of, of expertise, I think, that would serve Montana well uh, and that you don't find it among the other candidates, it's sort of this, um, the broader knowledge base. Very cool. So um, one of the things that's been going on with Congress that uh, our illustrious Denny Reberg has done was the um, delightful attempt at a land grab for a whole bunch of the border. Mm -hmm. And um, it's the weirdest bill. I've never seen anything like it. But it was trying, it, it's the wrong way to address an issue that is an issue, although I think that the issue is blown out of proportion. But our national security and our borders and the mm -hmm. TSA and the travel mm -hmm. and the terror alerts and all of this stuff is all tied together. Mm -hmm. And um, personally, I'm tired of it. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's uh, a, a grand theater and it's a waste of time. But um, how do, I don't know any way that anybody could walk into that <laughs> hornet's nest and not get stung to death um, to fix it. But you might. Do you have something? You mean international terrorism? Well, not necessarily terrorism. I mean, there's ways to solve that, but um, although we're not doing them. <laughs> but I'm talking more about how do we... Um, fix the internal strife with, you know, Arizona's got the immigration law because mm -hmm. they don't trust anybody mm -hmm. who's got skin darker than mine. Um, we've got uh, a, a border along Montana that used to be an open border, and now it's closed because we're so terrified that the Canadians are going to let in a Muslim. Mm -hmm. And we need to, or at least I feel that we need to back off of that a little bit. And, you know, what's the nice way of putting it? I, I would guess grow up. You know, <laughs> life is life, and, you know, there are friends. Let's do this right. And... Um, that's how I feel, and I know other people feel differently and are still terrified of, you know, somebody's going to fly a Cessna into something. Sure. And I don't know where you fall on that spectrum, but I would hope that as you're going into Congress, you can at least lead a um, civil discourse on how we can fix it or how we can make well, it better. Well, yeah, I'm trying to get a sense of what the que your question is, <laughs> well, which is... Um, how do we grow up as a nation and stop yeah, acting like children yeah. would be the, the mean way of putting it. <laughs> we have done a pretty good job of increasing our security, our border security, including, you know, it may be uncomfortable to take your shoes off. You think it's ridiculous. It's because of Richard Reed, the shoe bomber, that we now have to do that right. and all that. But generally speaking, I think our airports and air travel is much, much safer, more secure than it was. I don't know that our cargo transport is secure at all. But there's also a tendency, as I think you're concerned about, with uh, going too far in the direction of trampling on our civil liberties. 
And on uh, our people. Look, for instance, the issue that happened last week with the seven-year-old girl in Missoula. Mm -hmm. You know, that was the TSA was completely out of line on that. Mm -hmm. And the video is supposed to be released. From what I've heard from some people that were involved, mm -hmm. the TSA is not acknowledging what they did wrong. Mm -hmm. um, but they're hiding behind these policies that are quasi right. um, government. And and it's you know we've we've stripped away our liberties in ways that are unfathomable. Um, I can't pronounce the word unfathomable to our right. founding fathers. Well, that's what I was wondering if that's where you're going because I share really that is, concern. I think that we need some real common sense level headedness about the national security environment, which I think is actually international, uh, the, in which terrorism is a threat. And we gain more by cooperating and sharing intelligence and law enforcement responses across national boundaries because no country wants to be the site of a terrorist activity or event uh, or even planning. Uh, so that, that to me is something that has not yet been fully pursued and, and developed so that we do have information sharing and intelligence sharing. On the other side of it though is that the national security concerns are always the pretext for uh, overreaching and diminishing and even injuring or damaging our civil liberties. And uh, you saw it with the Patriot Act, exactly. you saw it with the Real ID Act, mm -hmm. you see it now with the Defense Authorization Act which allows uh, the suspension of habeas corpus for American citizens uh, accused of or terrorism or terrorist activity. Yeah, we have the proof. ability to assassinate American citizens as long as it's not on American territory for suspected terrorism. I mean, so um, I, I, I have some very serious concerns. Two, two levels. One is the federal government's over response uh, and disregard or potential damage to civil liberties. The other are state governments, as you point out, in Arizona, sort of having a xenophobic you know, knee-jerk reaction to quote-unquote foreigners. Uh, there isn't anybody out there that isn't in here. You know, we are American, you know, Americans of diverse, we call it hyphenated, right? <laughs> yeah. We're Irish-American, Italian-American, African-American, Native American, you know, Arab-American. Mm -hmm. uh, we have second, people talk about the Japanese internment in World War II. They were actually Japanese-Americans. They were second, mostly second generation. Uh, American citizens born in the United States who are of Japanese ethnic descent. So we can't make visual difference the basis for public policy <laughs> without diminishing uh, the civil liberties of American citizens. Hmm. And, uh, and I think that Congress may wear blindfolds. Yeah, that's kind of the direction I think that you're concerned about. And, and I, I, am, well. I am. And, and it, states do it, and the federal government both they, they do it different ways. Yeah, the xenophobia of Arizona and the overreaching of federal authority. Uh, and damaging our civil liberties at, at the national level. Yeah. So what are the fun things that you get to do in politics? Now that we've discussed some of the harder issues, what are the fun things that you get to do? Uh, every day is fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You could say being in parades and meeting people and all that stuff. It's actually listening to the concerns of voters when I do talk to them. Uh, my objective is, of course, to let them know about me and see if they have any questions. The questions they have, though, are more about their own lives and their own security and, you know, Social Security, for instance, Medicare. Um, I met a woman, for instance, on the phone, haven't met her in person yet, from Missoula. It was four days before her 65th birthday. It was Tuesday. She said she was having a birthday on Saturday and she wasn't going to have a birthday party. She was going to have a health insurance party because in her whole life she'd never had health insurance. And when she got Medicare, that would be the first time she'd have health insurance. Wow. And uh, I asked her if she minded my asking what she did, you know, for a living. And she said she was a housekeeper. She had cleaned other people's houses her whole life. 
uh, for I don't know what an hour, you know, twenty dollars an hour or something, you know. Uh, but she couldn't afford health insurance, so she paid. Thank goodness, uh, could could pay as you go, and lived to sixty-five without any major catastrophic health or even, you know, something that could have broken her bag. But uh, she was so great, grateful to finally have health insurance and Medicare and turning sixty-five. That's just wrong. <laughs> she worked her whole life and worked hard, and health care wasn't affordable and accessible or health insurance. That's amazing. So is that, that's my idea of fun. What's fun is to fight. It's enlightening mm -hmm. to actual, actually feel that personal connection with people that, who you, whose lives are abstract to you. These public policies. We talk about the 40 million people without health insurance in this country, but I know them personally now. And I was one of them at one time when I was a waitress for 16 years, which is way more, four times as much time as it takes to get through college. So I wasn't working my way through college. But you, you, I didn't have employers that offered it, and I couldn't afford it. Yeah, well, and, and it is expensive, and we're trying to fix it. The um, Health Care Act that we did was um, a step in the right direction in most ways. <laughs> I have some concerns with parts of it. but um, So what's next for you? You've got the primary coming up. You've got events coming up. We have done, um, in fact, the, you said you saw me in Missoula. That was the Butte Wednesday, Missoula Thursday, Billings Friday week. Wow. <laughs> and uh, so, and that Thursday night in Missoula, the next morning I actually spoke to the teachers' representative union members, 400 or so people. And then after that in Missoula, I drove to Billings that morning to oh. get there by the evening. So, yeah, we've got more coming up uh, in Livingston, and more another one in Billings, and Great Falls in uh, Missoula again. Um, I've been in Butte once. I don't. I don't know that we have another one before the end. There we have Whitefish. What we have uh, oh, Butte. There's, there's a couple more things in Butte, uh, and uh, the next forum is in Great Falls next Thursday. Uh, so I've got both my own meet greet fundraiser events and then some public events uh, around the state. Very cool. Yeah. So um, I really don't have any more questions. I sorry, I'm not terribly prepared. <laughs> I think you've done an awesome job explaining why you're why you're running and. Um, I do wish you the best. I think you'll Thanks, do Kevin. phenomenal if you're elected. Um, really quick, let's give everybody the way to get a hold of you. Your website? Yep, www.frankiewilmer.com. Okay. Uh, it's F-R-A-N-K-E-W-I-L-M-E-R.com. And your Facebook? Uh, it's Frankie for Congress, F-O-R, Congress. And Twitter is Frankie the number four Congress. Okay. So. And um, you have an Act Blue page? I do, but page? the best way to okay. contribute is on my website okay. with the big red screaming contribute button Okay. because it gets the easiest for us goes directly into our account. Awesome. But cruise around the website, there's a video of me on MSNBC. I've been on twice. Okay. Uh, there's a great endorsement article by Glenn uh, Greenwald of Salon.com. Uh, so there's all kinds of bells and whistles and interesting information, endorsements, things like that, and issues, of course statements and like I said the big screaming red contribute button on every page. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We ask that you support all of the candidates. And volunteers. There's the volunteer button too. Ah, very cool. <laughs> um, so uh, is there any last story that you want to tell them or well <laughs> it's it's free range you know, on this. We are just finishing this rally right. uh, for or against the war on women. Rally for women. Uh, what a great turnout we had this morning. 
Yeah, and on, great a, on a cruddy day too. Mm-hmm. It's cold and windy. Yeah, like yeah. We snow. have to, you know, we have to stand up for these things on cold days too. In Montana, <laughs> we won't stand up for much if we don't do it then. But yeah, it's great to see all those people out there, men and women, and children of all ages uh, in Helena here and from all over the state supporting uh, women. And women hold up half the sky. That's the Chinese proverb. Ah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think that women do far more than yeah. half the work. And, and it's true. When women do better in the society, I mean, it's documented. Everyone, the, the whole society is better off. When they don't do better, when they're not equal, that's when societies have the poverty uh, and violence and trouble. So it's, uh, it's good for everybody. Very cool. Well, thank you for being on the Thanks, show. Kevin. And um, we'll see everyone next week. <laughs>